But uh, anyway, if you've got a Bible, perhaps you could turn to with me to Hebrews chapter um, 11. Uh, and we're looking at verse 17 onwards about Abraham. I once heard a very silly story about um, a really good farmer that uh, looked after his animals so well. He always milked the cows early and then later in the afternoon. He's always on time. He always gave his chickens plenty of food and he got to them early in the morning when they were hungry and ready for breakfast. He always gave plenty of pig swill to his pigs. And so the chickens formed a committee because they were so grateful for his care. They thought they ought to provide him with some kind of present. And they decided on a full English, full English breakfast. So they had the meeting about it, but it, it, it never came to anything because the pigs objected. They said to the chickens, look, for you it's just an offering. For me it's total commitment. <laughs> Those who know what an English breakfast is will get that slowly. I'll give you time to get that. It's bacon, okay? Well, this morning we're looking at a much more serious story, but it's a story of total surrender, total commitment. So Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises, that's a great phrase, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned. He reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Now, around this time in the history of the Middle East, there, was, there were plenty of tribes and nations and cultures that did practice human sacrifice. And the pages of the Old Testament uh, record God's hatred of such practices and, and his, his anger and even his judgment on those who practice such things. So it's a strange story that God speaks to Abraham and says, I want you to sacrifice your only son. Now actually, God didn't allow that to happen. It was a, it was a test, if you like. And God does test us. He tests our faith, just as he tested Abraham. In fact, if we look at the New Testament, trials and testings come to us all. Faith will, I think, always be tested. So you get, for example, our building, when God seemed to speak to us some long time ago, I'll open a door for you for a building that no man can shut, which is scripture, it's from Revelation, but it seemed to be applied to a building. So you think, well, that's nice. He's going to give us a building. But then, then, then it's the, what no, the no man can shut bit. And you go forward and you think, this door's shutting. And, and then it doesn't. And you go forward, you think, this door's shutting again. And, and it doesn't. And you go forward. And, and actually, you have to cling to the promise and pray the promise because faith is tested. And our faith individually, as well as corporately as a church, it, it goes through times of testing, doesn't it? Times where you think, well, did God say that? Did he mean that? What did, what's that about? And how come, if that's true, how come I'm going through this? Faith is tested. It's proved. Let me read a couple of scriptures. The first one's in uh, James. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters... Whenever you face trials of many kinds, well, I'm not there yet. I don't know about you. Consider it pure joy. Yeah. 
Okay, well, I've got a way to go on that one. Because, it's for a reason, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It's not saying, this really hurts, I'm loving it. It's not sort of some sort of weird spiritual sadism. It's not that. It's, it's the because. I can count this a joy, not because in itself this is pleasant, because it's a trial, it's a difficulty, but because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, there's something about going through trials and proving God in them and testing our faith that strengthens and purifies our faith. We don't welcome it. We don't look for it. We're not praying for the next trial. But there's something about the trials of this life, going through them with God, keeping our eyes on God, that strengthens and deepens our faith. Or if you turn forward to, uh, to the next book, 1 Peter 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7. This is a different apostle saying much the same thing. So we've looked at James. This is Peter, the apostle Peter. Verse 6. In all this, your salvation, he's talking about, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So here's the picture of going through going through trial, being like gold in a crucible. You know, they put the put. It's done with a lot of metals. Put it in a crucible, heat it over a furnace of some kind, and and what's not good comes to the surface. You ever find that when you're under pressure? Uh, Someone said to me once, I'm really sorry, I wasn't myself. And I could have handled it better, but the truth was, and I, I blurted it out, was the truth is it was yourself that you'd managed to hide which was a bit cruel, really, but what's the truth? Because it's true for me as well. In, in trials, things bubble to the surface. So it, it's, not, it, it's not awful when that happens. It's actually, we can rejoice because God's skimming off some more stuff. Does he do that with your life? Can't be only me, please. He does that, doesn't he? He allows us to go through things and, and, and this thing comes up and and we deal with that and then that comes and and God's purifying us he's making us more Christ-like so faith will always be tested and for Abraham it happened in old age that's an interesting uh thing so you never get I I remember someone sending me a card when I got to 40 I'm 57 next week but when I got to 40 someone sent me a card with a bicycle on the front saying at least you can stop pedaling you're over the top of the hill you're over, you're over the top. There's a picture of a guy going down, down a hill. I've not found it like that, personally. I mean, you've got a bit more experience, but actually, try, you don't get to a point in life where everything is now predictable. I used, I used to think that there would come a time, there would come a time when I could, you know, leap tall problems with a single bound, <laughs> with a cape and a Bible, something like that. But it's, it's not happened yet. And it won't happen. So in old age, Abraham has this huge, huge trial. There doesn't come a time in the Christian life when you can now freewheel. 
can just cruise along. It's predictable what God will do to you, what he'll allow, what life will throw at you. It's, oh, you know, we've got it sussed now. That, that never, ever happens. And here's an interesting thing. Sometimes the high points of our faith come in trouble. That, that's often the high point of our trouble. Isn't it? Our, our focus is often, God, I'm, I, I, I'm praying to you because I want you to just get me out of it. I'm not the only one on that either. I know, I know that. You know, you know that the psalmist, I remember I used to go to a church where they did, um, that every now and again someone would do a solo. I didn't like it much, but they, they do a solo. And the, there's, there's, a, there's a famous one called Oh for the Wings of a Dove. You know that one? Oh for the wings, for the wings of a dove. All of that. And, 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 I, and, and, it's, and it's really sort of peaceful and melodic and beautiful. And, uh, and yet actually what the psalmist was saying is, I want to get out of here. That's what he's, that's what, it's not all peaceful and calm. It's if I was a dove, I'd flap out of this place. Give me some wings of a dove. I want to, it's, that, it's pure, it's, it's an escapist prayer. Get me out of here. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. That's what he's, I'm a Christian, get me out of here. That's, that's what he's actually praying. But the high points of our faith are actually in trouble, going through trouble, trusting God when we're in it. See, the high point of uh, Paul's uh, faith might well have been when he was in the prison singing at midnight, having been flogged. That's a high point of faith because he didn't know there'd be an earthquake and that people would come and he'd be released. You see that? The high high point of faith might have been right in the very midst of his trouble when he was feeling at his worst. The high, high point of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's, funny names, their, their faith might well have been when they said to the king, God can rescue us for the fire from this furnace that you're going to throw us into, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to that idol. Gulp. Because they were human. They were about to be burnt up. That, that was probably the high point of their faith. Once they're in the fire and they're walking around and they're meeting the Messiah in there as well, a strange fourth person, you think, well, that's nice. Once, once you know you're not getting singed, that's all. Oh, you can enjoy the miracle then. The high point of their faith wasn't then. They didn't need faith then. They're walking around unburnt. The high point of their faith was just before when it all looks bleak and rather hot. That's the high point. Or in the prison when it all looks dark and it's rather painful. The high point of faith is often in trouble. Like Job who said, who said to his um, so-called friends, even if God kills me, I'm going to trust him. That's, that's a great prayer, isn't it? That's a, great, that's a great faith statement. Even if God kills me, I'm still going to trust him. And Abraham had this test. It was the test of total surrender. Will you give me your son? He didn't say, will you give me your riches? Sometimes he asked for our riches. Do you remember um, Richard Young Ruler? You remember him? The rich young ruler. Remember him? Jesus looked at him, loved him because he was a good guy. But Jesus perceived that actually the thing he really worshipped was his money. doesn't say this to everybody. The Bible's not against rich people. Although Paul Paul commands Timothy to say to the rich people, uh, he says, command them to be rich in good deeds as well. That's, that's a good one, isn't it? It's fine to be rich, but let's be rich in good deeds as well. It's not against rich people, but he said to this rich person who really was worshipping his money, what you need to do to get free is to sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and then come and follow me. 
and, and he went away sad. Interestingly, Abraham, that, that wasn't an issue, although Abraham was actually a very rich man. He had huge flocks and herds. We're tested in different ways. It wasn't that. It wasn't even, give me your life. Maybe at Abraham's age, he was well over 100 by now, maybe he would have said, well, okay, I've lived a good life. I've, I've had an adventure with God. M- my wife's gone on ahead of me. I'm ready. That's, that's okay. Maybe he would have done that. Some people are called to lay down their life in total surrender. I, I met people recently when I was in, um, in, in Entebbe at a conference for East Africa. Pe- people who've lost wives, because of their faith been taken away from them, who, who've got prices on their head. If they're found, they, they'll, be, they'll be killed. And they're, they're living with that. They're planting churches with that hanging over them, as it were. Maybe God will call some of them to walk that walk and trust him with their lives. But that wasn't Abraham's thing. What, what, what God said to Abraham was, in Genesis 22, verse 2, he says, give me your son. In fact, it almost seems like God was rubbing it in. Give me your son, your only son, the, the one you really love. So Abram actually did have another son, didn't he? He had Ishmael through his um, servant, servant girl, Hagar. You know, that was, you remember that instant? We talked about that before when we try and help God out with his promises. Because you know, we're, we're impatient, but we think he needs a bit of help. Those ones. But, but, but what the one, the son he was referring to was the, the one that had the promises. God said, no, it's, it's through Isaac that you're going to have a big family. It's through Isaac that you'll be the father of a nation. You'll, you'll have descendants as more than the stars in the sky and grains of sand. All nations are going to be blessed through the descendants of Isaac. Yeah, that son. Well, that, that's really tough, isn't it? This is not just a special son, a beloved son. This is the son that he felt God had said some things about. So this wasn't just the death of his son. That's even a strange phrase. That's a huge thing. It was actually the death of what he believed God for. This was the death of his future. Do you see that? This is the death of God's, seemed like the death of God's promise itself. It was a huge thing for him to go through. A huge thing. And here's an important teaching point. Sounds a bit harsh, but it it isn't. You know, God has a right to everything he's given us. It's it's his. The Bible says everything good that you have comes from above. Everything good. Think about anything good in your life. Anything good is a gift from God. Every perfect gift comes from God. It's his. It's his because he's a creator God. It's his because he's our Lord. And it's all his. We, we have it. It's, it's ours to use. To, he gives us everything freely to enjoy and to use, to give, to take. That's fun. But it's all his. And the only thing he, he says he'll never take is himself. I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. Hebrews 13 verse 5. So that's, why, that's where Abraham is. The most precious thing he's got. God is saying, I'll have that, thank you. It's tough, isn't it? I read a story recently about a gift day of another church and someone had written their testimony about how, how their ISA bond was maturing and they were praying and God said, I'll have that, thank you. <laughs> I thought that was bad, but your son, that's a lot worse. 
a lot, that's that lot tougher than just some money. And so the story goes, you, you're probably familiar in it, it's, it's in Genesis chapter 22 if you want to read it later, is we read that Abraham got up early. That, well, that's, that says something, doesn't it? I think if, if it had been me, I would have been putting it off. Wouldn't you? I think, oh, maybe we'll go after coffee. Maybe, or maybe supper. Oh, no, another day's gone. There was no delayed obedience with God. Our, our kids used to get fed up with us. One of our little family sayings when they were little was, Delay, delayed obedience is disobedience. It's a great phrase, isn't it? I used to drive them mad. And now they're turning into me and starting to say it to their children. <laughs> so it's quite funny. <laughs> He didn't delay his obedience. He said he got up early in the morning, he cut wood, he loaded the donkeys, and he set off. And he had a three-day journey. Can you imagine, if you've got an imagination, put it on and think three, three days contemplating losing your child. Well, actually, three days contemplating taking the life of your child. That would be awful. Three days thinking about it. What would go round in your head? And, and Isaac's probably now in his 20s. So he, he's, not pa- he's not passive. He's somehow in, involved in all this. He's not helpless. All credit to him. So uh, Isaac's actually got the wood on his back. It's a funny sort of, I mean, he's the wood that they'll, he'll get burnt with. He's carrying the wood. Uh, 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 Abraham's got the knife. And he's, I mean, every time you look at it, Go to sleep at night, take the knife off. Look, oh, it's horrible. He's, he's going through it. And, and he's thinking all the time. And, and, and Hebrews 11 verse 9 says, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. That's great, isn't it? So he's, his mind must be going 100 miles an hour. He's thinking, well, how's this going to work? How's this going to work? How's this gonna... And the only thing he can think is, when I've killed my son, God is so powerful, he'll... Surely he'll raise him from the dead. See, he's not doubting God's promise. He's not doubting what God said. He's trying to work out, how's it going to work? How's it going to work? You know like that with promises from God? Well, how's that going to work? How's that going to work? He just trusts God and he's, he's reasoning, reasoning it through, trying to work out, how's it going to work? That's a faith declaration, isn't it? God, God can raise the dead. See, we live this side of Easter. He didn't. He lived before Easter. This was, this was a faith declaration. He does another one in Genesis 22, verse 4 and 5. He says to the servant, he reaches a point where the place of sacrifice is on the horizon, and he says, you stay here, we're going to go and worship, and then we'll come back. Wow. That's, that's faith, isn't it? I, I'm, going there, I'm going there to kill my son, but we're going to go and worship, and then we will come back. That's a statement of great faith, isn't it? I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. I don't know if you've ever seen that film Shakespeare in Love, but there's a little uh, uh, a theatre director who's always out of his depth, and he's always expressing confidence. It's, how's it going to work out? I don't know, but it's going to work out. It's like that, but with a reason, and the reason is God. How, how's it going to work out? It's going to work out because of God. How's that going to work out? I don't know, but it's going to work out because of God. We're going to go and worship, then we're going to come back. It's New Testament faith in the Old Testament, before the resurrection of Jesus, and no protest and no bitterness. It's, it's astounding. 
Here's another statement of faith that Abraham comes up with. God could raise the death, dead. We're going to worship, then we'll come back. Here's another wonderful one. The Lord will provide. When Isaac finally asks him questions, he says in Genesis um, 22, verse 8 and verse 14. Let me just read them. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And, Ab- uh, 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 and then it says, he reached out with his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Don't lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. He came up with another name for God. (laughs) Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. In the nick of time, God called out. Have you ever noticed how you you want things early, but God provides things just at the right time? In fact, that's a phrase, if you want to do a Bible study, at just the right time is quite quite an interesting one to do. I find that I want to minimize the time I wait in faith. (laughs) Are you you the same? I I want the time between the prayer and the answer to be as short as possible. Instantaneous will be fine with me. But God doesn't seem to have the same. He doesn't agree with me. And I'm slowly, slowly learning that when I disagree with God, it's always me that's wrong. Rats. But it's true. God doesn't always minimize the time. At just the right time, just as he was taking the knife, God called from heaven and God provided a ram. You know, God will provide. Hmm? You can write that over your life. The Lord will provide. (laughs) He's celebrating. (laughs) The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide the friendships that you need, that you feel you lack. The Lord will provide. The, The Lord will provide the job, the employment that he wants you to have. He'll provide. He'll provide the money that you need somehow. He'll provide for, and you can dot, 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 whatever it is you're worried about. He'll provide the grace sufficient for you. He'll provide. You can can write it on on the coffin. He'll provide. He'll provide resurrection. He'll provide a new body. He'll provide a, a life without pain and tears and sorrow and all of those things the Lord will provide and so Abraham passes this this test of absolute complete surrender and I don't know about you but with Easter coming up I I can't read this passage without thinking of the father because it's it's about Abraham and it's about his his faith in God his statements of faith but you know you can't help but think of our heavenly father on another mountain at Easter time where he didn't withhold his son. Abraham got to know it's okay, hold back. But God didn't hold back his son. He didn't hold him back from death. He gave him freely from us all. And Jesus 
totally surrendered. You can read about it, can't you, in, in Philippians 2, how, how he surrendered e- equality with God and became a, a, a person, became a servant, took on the form of flesh and became a servant and humbled himself even to death. Although he prayed, Lord, take this away from me. Take this cup away from me, but not what I want, but what you want. And God so loved the world, he gave us his only son. God provided. God provided in a much more significant way than for Abraham. God's provided atonement, the Bible calls it, so that we can be at one with him rather than far away. He's provided reconciliation so we don't have to be his enemies, we can be his friends. Forgiveness rather than guilt. A way of adoption rather than being strangers. And then only after that, after his death, three days later, came his coming back home, his resurrection. It's just a great picture, isn't it? It's an Old Testament picture, but so many parallels. Will you, will you give your, your son, the one you love, the one you really love? God, God gave his, the one he really loved, his unique son of God for you and for me. Can I, can I ask this one? Do you love him? Is your love grown cold for him? Can you think what it meant for the Father to give Jesus for you? Let's be people that love him. If, if our love's grown cold, let's tell him. Say, God, my love's got stale. Can, can you warm my heart up again? Can you make me realize? Sometimes you look at a story like Abraham and it, it, it gives you just a little picture of the heart of our Father and his love and his sacrifice for us. Do you love him? Here's another question. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? The Bible says in Romans 8 verse 32 that God having given us his son, having given us the biggest thing, how will he not also give us all things that we need? We, we worry about things, don't we? <laughs> What's this going to happen? And what about my future? And what about this? We worry about all those things. But you know, God has already given us the biggest thing he could possibly give if he gives us the biggest thing he can give his own son will he not also look after the smaller details of our lives of course he will we can trust him and will you like abraham give him everything give him you can trust god with your past even if it's a bit murky and tacky you can give him your past but abraham was actually giving his future that's tough He'd already left Ur and, uh, and sun worship. He'd left all that behind. Now he was called upon not, not to give some tacky stuff away, but to give, seemingly to give away his future. That's a big one. Some of us may be there. I've had points in my life where it's felt like, but that's the end. If I do that, it's the, it's the end of my hopes and dreams. And you have to just trust God and give him your future as well so that he refines your faith. It's precious to him. He's not, he's not mucking you about. He's not being harsh to you. He's refining your faith because it's golden. It's precious to him. Let's pray together.